The church of Philippi was the first Jesus community that Paul started in Eastern Europe. And um, you could read that story in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony uh, of ancient um, Macedonia. And it was interesting because it was filled with soldiers that were retired or veterans. And so what a tough location to go when their pledge of allegiance is to Caesar. And he's trying to give the gospel. It's kind of like going overseas to one of these eastern countries and trying to give the gospel to uh, the terrorist mentality, um, you know, Muslims. And so he was facing a lot of obstacles, hence this is why he's in jail here. And so after arriving there and presenting the truth the best of his ability and announcing that Jesus is the king of kings and there's no other king, you bow and give your allegiance to him, um, things transpired and when he moved on, they continued in the faith and preaching, and uh, they were a very vibrant community of faith and prospering. And uh, so here we are, Paul sending this letter to them uh, from prison, and uh, for a very important reason. Uh, the Philippians sent one of their members, one of their church members, to the jailhouse there to equip him financially, if you would. See, we got a misunderstanding of the way the Roman jails were. Um, so often you'll watch a, a movie from the period of time from the early 1700s and you see this dungeon and people give them some kind of, always looks like oatmeal, I don't know why, and a roll. And they slide it under the door and it's all sloppy and nasty. Well, that didn't actually go that way at this period of time. Um, it, they didn't eat unless you provided the food. So if a family member, a friend, a loved one would come by and give the food, then they were able to eat. So Paul was really relying on his church family to support him. Uh, if you remember one of the writings of Paul, he asked for a cloak because they didn't provide garments. They didn't provide food. And so here he is in the prison and they stop by and this particular, particular individual gives him uh, the support he needs. And his name is Aphroditus and Aphroditus delivers the financial needs to him. And in return, Paul gives him the letter. And uh, in this letter, it's a thank you letter but it's also some input to the church to encourage them, strengthen them. Um, this letter wasn't designed like the, most of Paul's letters. You know, Paul's letters, when he writes them, it's an idea, it's a single idea from the beginning to the end. Many of his letters are written that way, but this one's distinctly different. It's arranged in a series of short, reflective essays, if you would, little stories, and it's all centered around a poetic theme. Um, it's interesting. So I believe the book of Philippians is... Uh, is interesting in the fact that so many people have different ideas what the key verse is. But when we look at the book of Philippians, I believe the key verse is found in uh, verse 21 of chapter 1. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And hence, this has become our theme for this series. Um, of course, others tend to believe different things, and I don't know if anybody can justify exactly what the key verse is, but I think everything's hinged around that idea. So I say all that to say this. There is an outline uh, to Philippians, and uh, we're going to look and continue with where Michael left off, okay? So he, he covered chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We're going to start in verse 12, okay? Uh, the Bible says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. He starts off just to explain to the people Church, everything that I've experienced is for God's glory. In other words, for the furtherance of the gospel is to bring glory to God and good to man. 
So I want you to know where I'm at. I'm in prison. I'm, I, I, can't, I don't think he ever one time talks about suffering in the sense of being tortured and so forth. His emphasis on joy and glory to God, which I couldn't do. In verse, <clears throat> verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in, in all palaces and in all other places. Now, two words used there. Palaces and the places. And he is experiencing something that most people would never experience, the ability to touch lives outside of the prison cell. And he's saying, I, I'm bound to Christ, and I have the ability to reach out, and things are happening. Verse 14, And many of the brethren and the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. People are watching and becoming confident. Verse 15, So, Indeed, preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. In verse 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely. Uh, somebody that was preaching may have came across to him as being sincere, and then the very next verse we see that he said, and some not so sincere. They, they were out there preaching and trying to follow my lead, but they're actually in verse 16, he says, they're actually causing affliction to my bonds, and it's not working well in my favor because of the representation they have. They're not very good preachers, in other words. Verse 17, but others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether it present in truth Christ preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I'm going to stop right there, okay? We're going to break this down and make it as simple as possible, all right? Uh, I want you to notice by way of an outline, just so you can have it clear in your mind, uh, Paul's affliction promotes the gospel. The first thing you can see, starting in verse 12 to verse 18, in the very choppy way I read that, is that the afflictions of Paul promote the gospel. In other words, they bring glory and honor to God. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, my Christians of the faith, brothers and sisters, that the things that happen to me, they happen because I'm trying to further the gospel. And because I'm here, they're still being presented the gospel. Regardless of my bonds and regardless of being imprisoned, I am able to continue to preach the gospel and to influence lives. Now I'm going to break that down. You see, in Paul's life, you see so many awful things happen. He's, he's, he's not a guy that you want to be friends with because everything bad happens to him. I mean, he was, throughout his life, he had 39 lashes at five different times. He was shipwrecked, uh, beaten with a rod, stone, ran out of town, imprisoned. Another time, he, <clears throat> he was bit by a viper, a very rare viper. Uh, said that the fangs of the viper could be up to three inches <clears throat> this is not a guy that just seems like everything's going well for. And you would think being a Christian that's faithful and consistent to God's work, everything would fall in line. But Paul understands that he's a unique guy. He's not only presenting the gospel, but his afflictions that he's going through are promoting the gospel. So all of these awful things are coming together in such a way that God is still getting glory and honor and God is still getting praise. Are you all following me so far? Is everybody on board? Did you guys sleep this afternoon? 
All right, then you have, somebody said no. Well, you stay awake, whoever said that, okay? Paul's affliction promote the gospel through influence. A lot of people don't have the influence this man has, but even through his circumstances, there was still an influence uh, through the negative things that he experienced, through the influence in the palace. So the palace there is speaking of, or the representation of the government or the politics, and uh, the man in, in office, if you would, be, would be Nero, a very strange man indeed. Nero was not your average leader. Uh, Nero, Nero's one of those guys you don't want to be neighbors with, you know? And so this is the guy that's in power at the time that he is in prison and has the authority to make a decision whether he lives or dies. Anybody in the power would have that authority, but this guy was unique and different. Um, <clears throat> but for whatever reason, Paul still had an influence through his affirmities on the people of that prison and the people that were highly ranked under the influence or the leadership of Nero. And here this man is in prison, still touching lives, changing lives through his afflictions. Nero was one of those men that hated Christians. He despised the Christian mentality because it lifted Jesus Christ above himself. And he didn't like that. He was demented and strange. Uh, it's said in history books that uh, Nero had a beautiful garden and he would strap Christians to post and light them on fire to light the garden and get on his chariot and ride through the garden naked. Now that sounds like the neighbors of Columbus, don't it? Strange indeed. But this man was demented in the mind. He would gather his friends together and I learned when I was in high school from our teacher, he was an incredible teacher, uh, Mr. Bender, a historian, very unique guy, and he explained to us in class that he would gather all his friends to the Colosseum and he would put these stakes up everywhere and, and kill the Christians and put their bodies on the stakes and light the bodies on fire and gather around to be entertained while the, light, the lit bodies of the, the Christians lit up the Colosseum, demented and twisted. And so here's Paul sitting in a prison and thinking to himself, at any moment they could open that door and cut my head off because of the man that's ruling has no mercy and is not even right in the head. But yet, the Bible says that in verse 12 and 13, that regardless of what's taking place, he still had an influence on this man that's in control's staff. Everybody from the jailer to the people working the hallways. And then it goes on to say, even in the places around them, it reached the streets, if you would. So interesting that regardless of the iron fist that was ruling and reigning, there was such an influence by this one man that the gospel was being endorsed throughout the town and even starting in the prison. And God was using Paul through his afflictions, the promotion of the gospel was given through the influence and through his confidence. I, I noticed in verse 13 and 14, he was committed. Um, his bonds refer to his restriction to Christ. So when the Bible is speaking of that, it's speaking of the fact that this man was committed to Christ no matter what it took. And because of this confidence that he had in grounded in his boldness, he was able to influence his brothers and sisters in Christ. 
because they got word of it. And regardless of the psycho that was in reign, they were branching out and still preaching and teaching and influencing. So we see in verse 12 an understanding that these afflictions that he's experiencing are because of God's desire to promote the gospel through them. And then in verse 13, the bonds in Christ that he has, the the affirmities he was experiencing, were still reaching the people from the prison to the palace and to the streets. In verse 14, it explains that through this and what the people are seeing, and the brothers and sisters in Christ, they were, in verse the middle of verse 14, waxing confident by the bonds of this man. They became confident and, and, and energized to give the gospel. So Paul's affliction promote the gospel through influence and through confidence. And the confidence was through his bonds and his boldness. And then the Bible goes on further, as we've read a minute ago, his defense of the gospel. 15, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, you see something taking place. He begins to talk about the people that are preaching. They got confident. They're energized. They see that no matter if there's a psychopath that could take his head off, I'm still going to present the gospel. And mind you, strapped to his side or chained to his arm was a soldier. And that's the way they handled things at this period of time in that particular prison. So he was with that soldier the whole time, giving the gospel and witnessing. And people got wind of that. And they got excited. And the Bible says in verse 15 that they started preaching. And you had some novices. Some were energized and preaching legitly. They were given the gospel with love and compassion. And some were like some of the people we've known over the years. Hardcore, angry. No, they didn't preach with love and compassion. They would get up and create strife. It's like it reminds me of some of the churches down south. You have a church on every corner. And this church gets... These, these people in this church get mad and so they break off and they start another church over here and then they break off and start another church over here and everybody's determined to preach harder than the other church and be more conservative than the other church and then they base all their doctrines on their preferences instead of the Bible and, and then you have to determine how righteous you are according to the church that has the strictest rules and so on and so forth. And there was chaos just like that in this period of time. That's why in verse 15... He said, and indeed preach Christ, even some in envy and strife and also others in goodwill. There's different ones preaching in different ways. And some are not very, very convic- convicting in this fact that they're willing to compromise their stand to tear down instead of lifting up. There's no conviction. There's no spirit of God working. And so verse 17, he said, but the others of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. They're like me. They followed my example. They're preaching the word in love and compassion. They're not giving up. So here Paul is writing all these things down, hands it over to this man of God to deliver to the church and says, listen, make it known. This that I'm going through, the Paul's afflictions are to promote the gospel through influence and confidence and to bring the church together, to press on. But some of you got to get your act together because you're defeating what we're trying to do. You're messing everything up. You're causing more conflict. For a matter of fact, he even says, you're, you're causing afflictions to me and I'm in prison and you're out there. And you're making it worse on me than the guy that I'm strapped to by chains. That's how bad it's getting out there. So let the church know. So now we go on. We see Paul's affliction promotes the gospel. We also see Paul's afflictions exalts the Lord. 
You know, you go through things and you wonder, how is this doing any good for anybody? You, you go to the hospital, and I hate making hospital visits, not because I don't like visiting people. I just don't like walking the hallways and seeing what everybody's going through. It just breaks your heart. And to see good people go through bad things really bothers me. But in the end, we know what Satan meant for evil, God means for good. God's going to bring good, maybe not at that moment to your life, but, in, but eventually something great is going to come out of your life that might affect you and others. So Paul's afflictions exalts the Lord through a lifestyle of prayer. You see, in verse 19, the Bible explains, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He says, I know all of these things I'm experiencing in the end are going to exalt the Lord Jesus. But I can make it through this, through the lifestyle of prayer in my life and in your life. And knowing when you come by to give me my food and my supplies, knowing that the church is praying for me, enables me to press on to continue to do my very best. So, so Paul's afflictions exalted the Lord through a lifestyle of prayer but also through a lifestyle of passion. He was a passionate man about what he was doing. You see this in verse 20 through 25. Verse 20, look at with me. According to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by what? Death. He said, I am so passionate about bringing glory and honor to God. If it means take my life, then take my life. It means, if, if it means I continue preaching and teaching and changing lives through the gospel, then leave me here. But either way, if the psycho chooses to cut off my head, it's going to either be for God's glory and my good either way, whether it be by life or by death. And then in verse 21, he says the key verse, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hey, if I'm going to stay here, it's for, for me it's just going to be living for Christ to get more people under the gospel to be changed. If I die, I just gain. It's a benefit for me. I got heaven waiting on me. I'm going to flourish in glory and not have to deal with the infirmities of this earth. And so... Here's this idea that he is so passionate about his lifestyle of living for Christ that nothing seems to tear him down. Some of you are losing it, so I need you to focus, okay? Look up here at me, would you please? <laughs> I feel like I'm in junior church here. Old people and young people and middle-aged people, they, they're not like children. They don't, they don't start twiddling their fingers, and sometimes you play with your phone and stuff. They just doze off, and I have to, you know, I have to worry about you talking. It's like, wake up, pay attention now. All right? There was a girl I went to college with. She was, a, she was awesome. She was so special as a friend. Uh, she went out of her way to always be uh, kind to me uh, and merciful and help me with my homework and sometimes do it. And so <clears throat> she was so cool. And her parents were the coolest people I ever met. Incredible. Everybody at Crown, it seemed like everybody's parents were missionaries, um, except my mind was a vinyl cider. And and we're pretty proud of that. I remember we were at camp, and everybody stood up in a line, and they'd say, my name is so-and-so, and my dad's a pastor of so-and-so church. And, and uh, 
And it was forever like that. And then finally I got up there and my name is so-and-so and my dad is a vinyl cider and my mother is a seamstress. And it was just like, really? Why are you here? So you don't really fit in. And, um, but she was special in the sense that she was passionate like this man. She was a missionary's daughter. And she was so passionate that her lifestyle was constantly thinking, how do I bring glory to God and good to others? How can I affect people's lives in a positive way with the gospel? And her theme verse of her life and she would remind me often was this verse. This verse found in verse 20. According to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And she often talked to me about her grandfather, and she said, one day I know he's going to get saved. He thinks my dad's crazy for being a missionary, but one day he's going to give his life for, to Christ. And I don't care what it takes to see that happen. If God will use me to see that happen, then let it be. And he did. And I have the letter that she wrote about giving her life no matter what it takes with that verse in it. And I'll never forget at her funeral, her grandfather gave his life to Jesus Christ. But it took something tragic to make it happen. But she said, let it be. What do I got to gain? I'm not going to lose anything. I got heaven to gain. And that's what she gained. She was passionate in her lifestyle for Jesus Christ. And Paul's afflictions exalted the Lord through his, a lifestyle of prayer, but also through a, a lifestyle of passion. And he said, I want you guys to know at the church that whether it be by life or by death, you submit and commit to the Lord, no matter what it takes, honor God with your life. Don't quit, don't give in, don't lose your passion for Christ. He had a passion to bring glory to God. He said this in another portion of scripture, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Why? So that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry. He said, this is what it's all about. It, it, come on, guys, it's not about getting up in the morning filling the hole in your head, going to work, taking a break, filling the hole in your head again, and then going home, doing it again, and then going to bed and going through the motions. It's not about turning on your favorite TV show, sitting on the couch, wasting, wasting two and a half hours with Netflix, and then going back through the motions again the next day. You ever find yourself stu stuck in a rut and wondering, why am I doing this? What is my purpose? Because we get stuck in a rut even in the ministry. You have a purpose, you have a reason, and if you've lost your passion, you've lost your focus, you've lost your reason, and you have to get back on track. Whether it be by life or by death, I will bring glory and honor to God. And then he said, through a lifestyle of passion, I just don't want passion to bring glory to God, but I want to have passion to bring people to Christ. I want to have a passion no matter what it takes. At one time in his life, he said, God, if that means send me to hell, send me to hell, if it would spare those I love. That's a passion. And he was meeting the people's needs. If we continue on through here, you'll see this passion to bring glory and honor God in verse 20 and 21. And then you go to verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I won't not. Why? He said, in other words, I, I, I would like to go to heaven and just call it quits I would too if I was sitting with rats and strapped to an old Roman soldier smelling. I feel worse for the Roman soldier to have to smell that guy all the time. He said, I would like to just throw it in and go home to be with God in heaven. But I can't because I'm not just passionate about bringing glory to God, but I'm passionate about bringing people to Christ 
and good to men. So he goes on further to say, he's, he's in verse, verse 22. He said, the fruit of my labor. I see what God's doing in this church. I see what God's doing in the prison. I see what God's doing in the palace. He's not done with me yet. It's not time for me to go home to go be with God. And some people in here are grieving so heavily because you've lost that person in your life that means so much to you. And you'd love to be with them right now. But there's a reason you're not, because God is not done with you yet. And though you would gain so much, if you die before it's your time, so many people take their life before it's time, then you've compromised God's purpose for your life. And so here he is, he says, I, I know my labor is not in vain. Verse 23 goes on, he says, I'm kind of like between two things, having to make a decision. Depart with you and be with God? Well, that's a lot better than being here, but... Verse 20, 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. For me to be here is going to benefit you. It's going to change you because I am a mentor to you. I am a pastor, a preacher. I'm a big brother in some incidents. I am here for a purpose and a reason. And it's not just to bring glory to God, but good to you. And so he's passionate about this. Paul's afflictions exalted the Lord through his lifestyle of prayer and through a lifestyle of passion to bring glory to God and to bring people to Christ. And so you go on a little further and see the closeout of this portion of Scripture in the chapter. He goes on to say, as you read on in verse 25, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, every one of you, for the furtherance of what? Joy of the faith. Man, I'm here because I want to invest in you I want to strengthen your faith. I want to lift you up. And I want you to experience what ministry is truly about, joy. If you don't have joy in your ministry, you're not truly in ministry. Do you understand what I just said? If you're a Sunday school teacher and you dread being that teacher on Sunday morning, then you no longer need to be a teacher. You say, well, I've been doing it for umpteen years. That doesn't matter. You're no longer doing it the way it's supposed to be done. There's no shame in stepping out and taking a position in some area of ministry that you are strong in and that you'll receive the faith and, and the joy, as he said in this portion of Scripture. You've got to shift gears. Now let's take it to the next portion of this outline, okay? Number three, Paul's exhortation to the afflicted. Here he is in verse 27. He says, guys, I'm going to stay here because you need me to. Uh, my afflictions are going to exalt the Lord. We're going to bring good to you through my lifestyle. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to pray for me. My lifestyle passion is to reach out and love you guys, but I want you to know I'm going to exhort you too. Let me just take a minute before he close out in chapter one, and he says, let me exhort you. Let me strengthen you. And he begins to explain that they have to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Paul's exhortation to the afflicted is to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Now, if you look down in verse 27... He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now let me stop. Conversation there doesn't mean to speak one to another. It means your mannerism. It means the way you present yourself. And in other words, guys, I want you to know things are going to get tough. But you keep your mouth shut and you don't get negative. You don't get depressed. You don't do anything that's going to tear down the ability to present the gospel and present it well. Watch your communication your body language, if you would. And then he even goes on further to explain that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. He said, if I'm here or if I'm there, either way, I'm going to be checking up to make sure 
you are handling yourself in such a way that brings good to people and glory to God and an influence of the gospel in people's lives. He said, I want you to be aware. You're going to go through some hard times. But no matter what, stay faithful, stay consistent, and don't compromise the gospel. And we think we're compromising the gospel by presenting a false truth. False doctrine. No, you're compromising the gospel when you are hurting the name of Jesus Christ because of the way you present yourself to others. Do you understand that? The way you handle things has to be done in such a way that it's going to exalt God. So he goes on further and he says, now listen, I want you to stand fast in one spirit in verse 27. In one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said... Paul's exhortation to the afflicted, to the church here, he said, I want you to strive together for the sake of the gospel. Don't quit encouraging one another. Don't step out. You've got to be of one mind and one spirit. What does that mean? You can't have a divided church. If the pastor has a vision for the church and you don't have the same vision, you don't have to be exactly where he's at, but you can't go around spreading discord. You've got to be of one mind and one spirit. I just can't stand that. Just don't like it. Don't like it. I just don't want to go there anymore. Then you shouldn't go here anymore. There's a lot of churches out there who'd love to have you. As long as you don't express discord. You have to determine what's good for you and great for God. And if you're spreading discord, you're not striving together. And he is trying to tell you, I know things get hard and I know things can be said, but you've got to be of one spirit and one mind and on the same page and you've got to get the job done because the gospel needs to be delivered, but it has to be delivered in such a way that you don't compromise it by your reactions and your affairs. Stay on track. The Bible said, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. We provoke people, but not to love and good works. <laughs> we, we, we know how to push buttons, you know? We know what ministry we're in and which ones bother us in that ministry. Jim, you're, you're in a bad spot because you, there's only one other guy in your ministry, so <laughs> it's Eric. So I hope he doesn't push your buttons. There's people with big ministries, and you got a lot of people to deal with. But the most unique thing about this church is we're not just a team, we're a family. And if anybody, you know, has the mentality that I could do this on my own, then you, you haven't caught on to what we're all about. We're about doing it God's way. We're about striving together in one spirit, steadfast, striving together with one mind. For what? The end of verse 27 says, faith of the gospel to get the word of God out there. We want to spread the good news. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, verse 28. He said, don't let anything hinder you, hold you back. He said, they're going to try to, but to you of salvation, that of God. He said, I will preserve you, keep you. God has got his hand on you. You can't be afraid. You can't be uh, tempted to quit because of somebody saying this or doing this. You have to stay focused on what your, your goal is, and your goal is to finish the course, as he says in Timothy. He said to, to get the job done. He says you've got to fulfill what God has given you to do as a body of one. You've got to work together, whether you like it or not. And then he goes on in verse 29 and verse 30 and begins to explain on the behalf of Christ 
not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. He said, guys, let me close out. You gotta stick with each other because you can't do it alone. You, you, you can't do verse 29 if you don't learn to do verse 27. You can't suffer alone because we're the body of Christ. So if the foot suffer and the hand reaches down to supply the need of the foot, and if you're by yourself, the gospel won't go forth. It won't be spread. The Bible makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, that we have many bodies, I mean, many uh, members of the body. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We're in this together. And it's all for his sake. If we're going to go through trials and troubles, we need to know that we're all in this together. That's why we have a prayer chain. That's why we have Facebook. That's why we meet together on Wednesday night and they gave the prayer list out. That's why the secretaries are anxious to hear if somebody's been put in the hospital. Not because they're excited about that. They're excited to get the word out so they can pray and you're not suffering alone. We're in this together. One mind striving with one another to do what's right and to present the gospel. But if the church is down, the gospel is going to be down. We've got to get the word out. And he finishes up in verse 30. Having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Listen, pay attention. You and me may be in two different places physically, but we are still part of the body of Christ. And this letter that I'm giving you is to announce to you that through my afflictions, great things are going to happen. Regardless of what Satan had in store, God will be exalted. Paul's afflictions promoted the gospel. Paul's afflictions exalted the Lord. And then as you get to the bottom of chapter 1, Paul's exhortation to the afflicted changed lives by learning to strive together for the sake of the gospel and suffer together for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you guys are, and I'm not pointing anybody out because I don't, I don't have really anybody in mind right now, but some people just strive more to be depressed and down and out, and they, they, they like that. They thrive on that. They, they'd rather hide and see how many people are going to pay attention that they're hiding instead of getting out of the shadows and reaching out and striving together and putting their arm around people and saying, we're in this together. One mind, one heart, one goal, and that's the gospel, just like Paul. Isn't it funny that the guy that's rallying everybody together was in prison? The guy that's trying to say, stay faithful, watch the way you present yourself because you don't want to compromise the gospel. Stay on track, don't mess this up, should be the one that's complaining the most and getting a letter sent to him to encourage him. I mean, he's just waiting, waiting to get out of the prison so he can get out there and get back to work. 